You're listening to the Cleverly Changing Podcast, episode 63. Our guest during this episode was Brad Butler II. Brad is an athlete turned student success and retention specialist, a multi-award winning motivational speaker, author, and educational consultant. He helps educators and coaches increase the graduation rate for students and athletes using research-based strategies, components of SEL and life experiences. So how does this relate to homeschooling? Well, what really stood out to me was that during our conversation, Brad mentioned some of the obstacles he faced as a child. He was in special education classes, but despite his challenges, one of the challenges being his parents were on drugs at one point, he has used his experiences to make a difference in the lives of other children and help them see the greatness that lies within them. He uses his story to uplift others. So listen in to learn more about the work he is doing and how we as parents can help motivate our children even though they may face many obstacles and adversity. If you want to keep the Cleverly Changing podcast going, please consider supporting it by donating monthly via our Patreon page. Full video episodes will be unlocked and discounts on my books will be given. Visit patreon.com slash cleverlychanging. Today's African proverb is, many words do not fill a basket. And that is a Benin proverb. It's now time for the word of the episode. Today's word of the episode is brought to you by South Africa. Ingoyama. Ingoyama. It means lion. In Isizulu. Ingoyama. Cleverly Changing Podcast. I am your host, L. Cole, and we are going to talk to Brad today. We have another exciting guest, and he has a phenomenal story. He is a motivational speaker, and he travels talking to the youth about his own story and his own experiences getting past drug addiction and so much more. And so today, it's going to be a very insightful conversation, and I want us all to take notes. It may not be a story that um, you can relate to personally, but you may know someone who is dealing with these same issues. So definitely tune in and take notes, parents, because we want to be there for our kids, and we want to make sure that we instill confidence in them. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Brad. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I'm so curious to know, what is one of the things that you're most proud of in your life? Um, I, I think one of the things that I have a few things because I was one of those people where I was always told that I could not do things, you know, throughout my life. So 
I've accomplished more than I thought that I ever would in my life. But one of the things that I'm the most proud of is I'll give you two. So one is that I actually followed my dreams. I actually did something that I believed was worthwhile. Like if I were to, uh, if my life were to expire today, I would die with a hat, with a smile on my face because I'm doing what I love to do. Um, and then the, the second one would be the fact that I became the man that my wife wanted to be married to. Wow. Wow. That's pretty, pretty heavy. That last one I think is um, just phenomenal. So congratulations. And I think, you know, it really says a lot that you're saying that when the time comes, you know, for you to um, pass away, you'll be content. And I don't think that's something that, um, we can take lightly because I think we all have a person, a purpose, and you talk about passion, pain, and your purpose. Those are some of the words that really resonate with your story. Can you kind of take us on a journey and unpack what passion, pain, and purpose have to do with you and your story? Well, I honestly believe that uh, your purpose is the last thing that you get to. Right. So the pain and the passion that comes first. But without those two, you don't get to your purpose. Um, and I think that's just a part of the journey. Like we all uh, have our pain that we deal with. But in a lot of cases, people get stuck at the pain part of it. They, they just get stuck there and they kind of live in it and dwell in it. And they allow whatever pain that they experience in their life to force them to stay in that spot. There's a lot of people in this world who are grown men and women but they are stuck at the age that the trauma hit. So for example, there could have been some trauma that hit them when they were 14 years old. Somebody told you, told them, Hey, listen, kid, you'll never go to the NFL. And that stuck with them. So they stopped training. They stopped working out. Someone said, you'll never be good at math. So they stopped trying in math classes. They accepted the D's and the C's. So in order for you to get to purpose, you have to have that mental, that, that mental, fortitude to be able to say, okay, it doesn't matter what you say or what you do. I believe in this. I believe in myself before anybody else believes in me. That before I became what I am today, I had to believe in myself before anyone else did. So uh, there's a saying where it's uh, you have to be in demand before you can make demands. So I had to put myself in a situation where, you know, I perfected my expertise and I faced my fears and I I went against the grain. I did the things that didn't necessarily seem cool to a lot of people. Like I started going on this path of being a motivational speaker and an educational consultant when I was about 24 years old, uh, 23, 24. So at that time, there's a lot of people who are still clubbing. They still going to parties. They still out chasing, you know, whatever it is that they chasing, money, cars, clothes, whatever it is that they chasing, they out there chasing it. And I made a decision that if I wanted my life to be different, if I wanted my life to actually have purpose, then I had to change some of the things I was doing because we all know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So pain is the first thing. You have to address that. And then that will automatically lead you to uh, your passion and allow you to do the thing that you love to do. And then ultimately at the end, you'll get to your purpose. And when you realize you get to the purpose part, it doesn't even have anything to do with you anymore. The purpose is applied to helping others. Yes, yes. So you said something that I really want to go back to, and that's your pain and, and 
you know, just during this pandemic, so many people are facing some of those traumas that they didn't deal with. Um, you know, kind of when you're stuck in a hard place and you begin to face adversity, those pain points begin to come back up. And if you didn't fix them or address them, you may still find yourself suffering from them, especially when you go through a time that, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of unanswered questions, you don't know what the future holds, you may not have hope. And so I think what you're saying just is so timely for right now. And I want to talk to you, you said, you know, you talked about that pain, but you also talked about your fears. So what part of your life did you go through something that was painful? And if you don't mind, can you share what it was? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for me personally, now I've had things that have happened within my family. So, um, Earlier on, you know, my family were, uh, to say it in the nicest way possible, my mother and my father were urban pharmacists, and they were really good at what they did. And because of that, you know, there's no there's no way out of that except for two ways. You die or you go to jail, one or the other. I was lucky in the sense that my father went to jail. So that put a, a, a halt to all of that. And then when he got out of jail, you know, he stopped selling drugs. And he decided that he was going to get a nine to five and, you know, do things the right way. But that caused stress. So my mother and my father then became heroin addicts. Um, and then from there, you know, they had to deal with the shame that comes along with that. They had to fight through that in order to get themselves clean. And they were able to do so and be clean to this day. So some of the things that I've had to deal with as far as pain is I watched my family go through that. I watched the struggles. I watched, you know, my grandmother was a functioning addict. So I watched the ups and downs that, you know, the family went through, um, you know, just all the things that the youth should not have to endure, should not have to see, should not be exposed to. So there was pain in that sense. So it built a lot of resiliency in myself. And then my own personal pain was that I was put in special ed classes. I, I went from living in Jersey City, uh, a urban area, to then moving to East Windsor, New Jersey, which is a suburban area. And I was pretty much immediately thrown in special ed classes when I got there. And I spent 10 years in special ed classes. I was never in special ed classes prior to being in that community. But then once I moved to the suburbs, I was. And it was a constant struggle each and every year. I thought to myself, this is going to be my year when I get out. I'm going to go to regular classes. I'm going to be standard classes. I'm going to be normal. And it never happened. I graduated from high school in special ed classes. And through that time period, all I had a number of educators that told me, you can't go to college. Like you can't play sports on the collegiate level. You're too small right? That type of thing. And when you constantly have somebody telling you no, it's really hard for you to conjure up a yes. So those were the type of things that I had to endure um, as far as the pain that I dealt with. So, I mean, you said, you said a lot. And when you were going through those early painful experiences, although they weren't yours, to be um, raised and be in an environment where all of those things are going on, it does affect you. And you're seeing things, you may not be getting the nurture, you may not be getting the attention you need. You, you are being neglected in some way just by being in that particular environment. So in those early years when your parents were having their ups and downs with substance abuse, what did you do in order to, like when you were at school, were you um, 
getting yourself dressed, taking the bus, getting to school, or were they still able to make sure that you were attending school at the same time? Or were you self-motivated as a um, young person? Oh, no, my family, there were some classy addicts. Uh, they always, they maintained a job the entire time. <laughs> they always uh, brought money into the household. Yeah, there were struggles. Yeah, there were certain things that we went without at times, but it was nowhere near what you would see on like, what, like the corner the wire, like you see on the TV shows and stuff like that. It was nothing like that. Like, I, yeah, I seen my, my, my father um, get high in front of me, right? Uh, because he didn't even know I was in the room. He was high. He didn't know. So he probably didn't, he doesn't remember that to this day. Um, my grandmother, she was a functioning addict. So I always saw her, you know, inebriated or something, but they were able to maintain a certain level to make sure that the light stayed on, to make sure that there was food in the house or the rent was paid. Like we never got kicked out of our house. Like that never happened. The house was never not clean. We never had a dirty house. We never had dirty clothes or anything like that. Like my mom was one of those people that was like, listen, I know I got a problem, but I'm not going to let that reflect on my children. So I'll get it together to make sure that we y'all good. Everybody good. Okay, cool. Bam. Now I'm back to doing my thing. So, you know, so it wasn't the same as what you would find in some of those, you know, those stories that they have out there and some of the documentaries and all that stuff. Like my mom and my dad, there were some classy addicts. It was just a different experience. Well, I definitely can say that um, I grew up in the hood, just like you. Um, my mother wasn't an addict. I grew up in a single family home, but she was very poor. And I would see kids in my neighborhood who were struggling. Like sometimes they would come to school with their hair just all over the place. And as black people, we often have so much pride that we don't leave our house in a certain way. And so I just remember, you know, sometimes they were dirty. Sometimes, you know, things weren't as well as they should be. And I remember seeing that growing up just with various classmates, various things. And I think, you know, it does stay with you. It can either push you to do better are, it can attract you. And so it seems like for you, it pushed you to do better because you're saying that this wasn't a first generation issue, that it was something that it was second generation. Your grandmother also dealt with it. And so what do you think was kind of like a catalyst to break the cycle? Because these are cycles and I, you know, because I grew up in the hood, I know that it's not as easy as you just have a choice. You decide to do something different. It actually is an illness a lot of times. And there are other different factors that come into play. And so I know that breaking that cycle is not easy. It's not, you know, we hear people saying, pull up, um, you know, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I think that those type of concepts are much more complicated than people really let on. And so how did you, break the cycle um because my my mother and my father never made it seem like it was something that was to be glamorized mm -hmm. you know that was like i knew that my mother and my father were heroin were addicts because my mom never kept secrets um my mom was one of those types where it's like all right you want to know i'm gonna tell you like are you sure you want to know though because i'm not about to lie to you and she didn't care what age you were you ask i'm gonna tell you so she didn't hide anything. She didn't pull any punches. 
And uh, my father was the one to be like, don't say that. Don't don't tell him that or whatever. He ain't, he's not old enough. Or she ain't, she, I don't care. I'm telling them because they need to know. So uh, as far as that went, I my mom, they always made it known. This is not the, the route to go. Like, you don't need to do this. You don't need to ever do this. But my mom and my father, they also cleaned themselves up in enough time for me to be aware and cognizant enough to understand the change that happened, to understand where they were and where they are now. It's like, don't, don't. It, I remember being in, um, you know, in like middle school and I was in special ed classes and I struggled, you know, in the school system because I was in special ed classes. And I always thought to myself, you know, my mom, and my dad tell me, don't, you know, don't do drugs and stuff like that. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't even like needles, no way. So I'm, I'm pretty much good on that. But I don't really want to try any other stuff. And I'm already struggling with this whole special ed thing. So I probably shouldn't be the kid who is in special ed class and doing drugs and is a drug addict. Now I'm about to double dip in the negatives. Like I'm just no. Like if I want any chance of being successful, like they already look at me and they look down on me. Why give them something else to throw at me? Like, why not just like, okay, let me just focus on this one thing. See if I can get better at that. And that way they can't say that about me anymore. You know, that was always my thing. Like, how can I be better? Like, how can I work on and fix the things that I'm already dealing with that I have no control over? I can control whether I do drugs or not. I just don't have to do it. So that was my outlook on it. I was like, I don't want another negative uh, in 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 that, that category, in that box of negatives. I don't want to put another check there. Let me just focus on maze. I'm trying to see if I can erase one, actually. Yes, yes. So you're talking about special education. And I grew up in the public school system. And I remember seeing my friends from the neighborhood often go to special ed classes. And I'm like, well, he seems normal to me. You know, it wasn't like, you know, you had some kids. So now um, there are some kids with visible or cognitive disabilities that are apparent. But I remember being in school where, as a kid, it didn't seem like these other children had cognitive deficits. But, um, you know, it could have been a number of things, but they were in special ed classes. And I know that it can affect your psyche because um, for one of those kids that I went to school with, he, I knew him from church. And, you know, we had always been together at church, but then when we were at school, he was in special ed classes. And so as time went on, he began to pull away because he was like, well, you've seen me in this environment. And so, you know, maybe you're going to judge me too. Of course, I wouldn't want to do that, but, you know, kids are, can be brutal sometimes. And so they do label other children. They do pick on other kids. So can you kind of tell us what, helped you get past, um, you know, name calling, bullying, and just have the foresight to keep going because it can affect your internal confidence. And you're already, you know, as a young black man in the, in America, there's already some things that can eat at your confidence. So what made you keep pushing? Well, for me, like I had an open relationship with my mother uh, my father, my sister, my grandmother, like we we can just talk, we can communicate. So, um, you know, whenever I was struggling with something in, in school, because, you know, you do all right for a little while, you kind of accept it, like, all right, whatever, I'm here, I'll just, you know, do the work. And then you have some times where you have like, all right, I've reached my limit. I'm pissed now all over again. I don't want to be here. Like I've done, I've done your classwork. I've done your busy work. I've gotten the A's on your test, you know, consistently. Why am I still in here? Obviously I've proved that I can handle this. 
like somebody is like this isn't working and I would complain about it. And my mom lived in Jersey City. I lived in uh, East Windsor with my father. My parents had separated. So my father has minimal education. So he just was not an advocate for my education at all. Like he didn't know nothing. They could send him any type of letter at home. He's like, whatever, let your mom read it, whatever. Or you read it or something, I don't know. Uh, whereas my mom would go to bat for me. Like, all right, no, we, I need to know what's going on. But with her not being there, she couldn't do so. So I would just have conversations with her over the phone. Like, mom, man, this is hard. Like, I don't like doing this. I'm, I'm smarter than this. And she's like, don't worry about it. You're going to be fine and this, this and that. But I got through all that because with my mom being an addict for the number of years that she was, she cleaned herself up, got herself together. And then she went to school and got her bachelor's degree. And she went back and got her master's degree. So I was looking at it as, okay, well, well, my father as well. Like, okay, he was an addict. And then he got on a straight and narrow, was able to maintain a job, no problems at all. I'm like, wow, okay. I'm like, well, if my mother and my father can beat a heroin addiction, I can beat the school system. Now, I might not be able to beat it the way that they want me to beat it, but I can figure out a way out of this. So I said, okay, my time might not be right now as far as being in middle school, high school. I can't do nothing about that. They're not going to help me. They're not going to let me out. I'm stuck. But when I graduate, I have the option of whether I want to try to go to college. And if I can go to college and if I can make good on that, if I can, uh, if I can get an associate's, I'll have proved to them that they were wrong. So I went and I got my associates and then I went back and I got my bachelor's degree. And now I'm a couple of classes away from getting my master's degree. So I'm a unicorn. I'm an anomaly. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. So when you were going through school, so um, community college and then um, undergrad and grad, did you face any academic struggles just because of your foundation? Yeah, lack of belief. Uh, when the educators don't believe in you, you feel like it's just not possible. But I promise you, if some of the educators were going every day, and even though the, the work, the rigor that they're putting the students th through might be hard, if you approach it as, I know that you can do this, and we're going to work on it until you get it, their attitude is going to change. Your attitude is going to change. Like you, It's infectious when you get around somebody with the type of personality that's like, no, we're not going to let this thing beat us. We're going to figure this thing out. It becomes infectious to everybody in the room. There's people who get around me and they're like, man, I, I can't do this. I ain't about to do this and that. And I come in, I'm like, yo, what you talking about? We ain't leaving until this thing is finished. We're not leaving until we get it right. And then all of a sudden, now, like a light switch goes off and they're like, all right, yeah, no, we can do this. I, I can figure it out. I'll try it one more time. It's infectious. It's energy. It's the vibrations in the room. So as an educator, I know that they're tired. I know that it's a lot. Listen, this pandemic was nothing to be played with. Right. They put a lot on these teachers, but they got to understand that it's just as hard for the students as it is for the educators. Y'all in this thing together. I'm talking about y'all are tethered at the hip. So if you give up, what you think the students going to do? Right. Wow. I, I think what you said about your mom advocating for you, I want to just kind of highlight that a little bit because as parents, we have to advocate for our kids at all costs. Like 
you got to have somebody in your corner. Some kids don't have a parent advocating for them, but they may have someone else. So you mentioned that your mom was a big advocate for you. Did you have any teachers who kind of pulled you to a, to um, to the side and talked to you and you knew they were on your side and you knew that they cared? Did any of the teachers go an extra mile and make that connection with you? Yeah, so there were about, there were, there were two teachers that I remember that I know of, uh, Lauren Gleesa, Felicia Alexander, still remember their names. Why? Because they're still connected to me. Those were the two teachers, Caucasian ladies, uh, two teachers who actually saw something in me and was like, nah, this kid work hard. If I just, if I help him, he can get like, the like they gave me the information about college and stuff like that. Like, Brad, if you want to go, this is what you're going to need to do. All right, do this, do that. They were the one who tried to keep me out of getting in fights and stuff like that. It's like if they caught me in the hallway and I was minding my business and somebody said, ha ha, retard. Like, you know, yeah, you know, they throw one of those. I'm like, yeah, I'm punching them in the face. Like, I'm not even waiting. Like, because I'm like, that was that just cut too deep. Like, they might not have even known that I was in special ed classes. Why are you acting like a retard? All right bam, like we got a, we got a rock right here. It is what it is. But those were the teachers who would catch me right before, like, no, Brad, he don't even know. He doesn't even know, Brad, like, let it go. Like, all right, all right, fine, fine, let it go. But they talked me through things and helped me to understand things and challenged me in ways like, all right, no, Brad, try this. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. You know how many classes? I'm like, no, no, you can do it. Just try it. I've seen your work. You can do it. There's that. And then there was a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Mr. Napier, uh, African-American male who was in the school. He was kind of like a monitor, like in the halls, just make sure everybody was going to class and he would come to the, uh, the, the cafeteria and stuff like that, monitor and stuff. Check us, check us out on the football field, things like that. And I remember one day walking in the hallway and he stopped me. And he said, hey, Brad, can I talk to you real quick? I was like, yeah, what's up, Mr. Napier? And I was always respectful. I was like, hey, what's up, Mr. Napier? He said, let me ask you a question. Um, do you think you're like, do you think that you're, you're gifted? I was like, I mean, I, I, I guess, I mean, I'm in special ed classes, so I, I guess whatever. I don't know what you mean by that. And he was like, um, I, I mean, aside from sports and football and all that stuff, like, do you think like you are actually gifted individual? Like it's something out there for you, like, you know, for you in your life. I was like, I mean, I guess I never really thought about it. He said, well, listen to me. Uh, and I'll write it down for you. So he took out a piece of paper. Like he actually ripped the piece of paper out of like a notebook and took a pen and wrote it down. And he said, you know, the man who thinks he can and the man who thinks he can't, they're both right. The question is, which one are you? And I was like, wow. So I took the paper, folded it up, put it in my pocket and I kept it. Like, I, I believe I still have it at my dad's house right now because it like, it's faded. Like the, 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 the ink was blue. It's faded. It's like brown now. But it was something that I held on to because I kept looking at it over and over and over again, just asking myself, all right, this is rough, but which one are you? Which one are you? And I was like, nah, I got to do this. I can figure this out. So those are the three people as far as school-wise, academically, that, that stood out for me. That is amazing. And that it had such, that message had such an impact that you still kept it. I think that that's, that's beautiful that you had some people who were willing to pour into your life. And one thing that I'm curious to know is what kind of has given you the courage to share? Because a lot of people go through tough times in their life and they face all kinds of stuff, but you don't want other people to know. So sometimes people have gone to special and they were in special ed classes when they were younger, but they don't want anybody to know. 
what makes your story so compelling to you that you are willing to share it with other people? Uh, a lot of the things that we go through in life are avoidable, right? I'm, uh, obviously, there's some things in this world that we cannot avoid, things that are outside of our control. But I always like to, you know, look at other people's experiences as the best teacher for me. Like, I'd rather not, you know, touch the fire to find out that it's hot. You know, if I see somebody else do it, I'm like, oh, okay, I probably should do that. Like, that's, that's always kind of how I've been. So I feel like if I go out and I tell my story and I can tell them about all the things that I did wrong and then also how I fixed it, then it helps people to understand I'm human just like you. And there's nothing supernatural about me. There's nothing, uh, I guess you would say, special or unique that makes me you know, stand out or makes me like that one in a million individual. No, I'm just a person who realized what my gift was and I devoted my life to it. I sacrificed time. I sacrificed parties and you know, going out and doing different things. I sacrificed money. Uh, I, I sacrificed relationships. Like the old version of me had to die so that the new one could be born. I could be this version of me. The man that I am today is not the same man I was five years ago. So it's some people probably from like, who haven't seen me in years. If they were to see me now, like my, my, my whole conversation that I have with them is completely different. I, I just, I look unrecognizable to them. So that's the reason why I do what I do. And I speak with the amount of passion that I speak with and the amount of power because I don't want you to go through what I had to go through. It's not necessary. I got the blueprint for you. So if you want to be hard headed, no problem. Listen, I'll let you do, listen, I'll do what you want to do. Let you do what you want to do for that matter. But it is what it is. You still have the option to listen and you can never say that somebody didn't give you the information. And at least it's there after you're done banging your head against the wall, you can go back and listen again. I put everything on wax. So you can go back and listen to the videos and be like, oh, okay, well, let me see where I went wrong. Let me see how I can fix it now. Wow, I love that. It was it was poetic. Like, you know, it made you think of church and an experience. <laughs> so, I think I think, you know, what you're saying is just really spot on and I think um what about the parent who is listening to this podcast right now and they're they're wondering, hmm, I have a kid. My child, you know, isn't learning necessarily at the same capacity as their classmates, but he's he's a smart guy or she's a smart girl. And I know that they have more potential than what I'm seeing right now. What would you say that that parent can do right now to encourage their child to stay focused and, you know, consider college and, you know, do things that will put them in a position so that they can grow and go to the next level? Well, I would say the first thing they need to do is get involved. Like they, it's got to become like a second, like a second job for you. Like if you, if, if it's a bad situation where they're in special ed classes, but you think that, or believe that they're capable of doing more, you like, you see them and say, oh no, I think I really wholeheartedly believe that my child is capable of being in standard classes, just like everybody else. And I want them to have a chance to go to college if that's what they want to do, because there's nothing wrong with going to trade school. But I want them to have that option, that opportunity to do so. I believe it has to become one of those things where you like, listen, I'm at the school, I'm at the meetings, I'm with, the, I got all the counselors numbers. I want to know what's up. You're going to give me some answers. 
right? Because it's a fight when your kids are in special ed. Once you sign the line, those dotted lines and you put them in there, they in there. And to get them out, it's going to be a fight and it's probably going to cost you money. Like, because you might have to go through lawyers to get them out. But once you got them in, they're in, which is why I say before you allow that to happen and you sign on that dotted line, you make sure that you ask all the necessary necessary questions. What is going on? What what is this going to entail? How is this going to happen? What are they going to do? What's going to change? Like, how is this going to affect him in the future? Is he going to still accrue uh, college credits? Like, how does this how is this going to work? Right. I need to know if you put them in, can I take them out? How does that work? Right. Because nobody wants to be put into something that they can't get out of. Right. So I think you have to get involved and you have to make yourself knowledgeable in the situation. Find a a professional who knows about that industry inside and out. And like the counselors who know about it and definitely somebody who's not directly connected to the school. If you can, you know, find a counseling friend who's a school counselor and say, hey, listen, they, they think about putting my son or my daughter in special ed classes. What do you think? What should I do? You know, so before you allow them to put an IEP on them, because that's going to follow them forever. Um, you want to do your due diligence and uh, do your research and whatever it is that you got going on in your life that you feel is important, you better put that thing on hold because this right here is going to follow them forever. Like, for like, forever that, that that followed me as far as my academic uh career my history i had an iep all through those years 10 years and then when i graduated from high school they asked me oh well do you want us to basically inform any uh schools if you try to attend that you were in special ed classes so they can try to like accommodate you i was like accommodate me how what are they gonna do with offer me extra time if i don't know the answer i don't know the answer so 15 more minutes wasn't gonna help so what difference does it make? So I said, no, I don't want any help. And I uh, declined that offer. And I said, I'm going to go to these, these, uh, the college or the university. And I'm going to go there as if I was a standard student who just came out of high school. No help at all. And that's what I did. And it was a struggle, but I got through it. So when you were going to school and you were in those classes, did they ever give you a diagnosis or a label or were you just going there and you were like, I don't even know why I'm here? Yeah, I was like, I don't even know why I'm here. I remember wow. the first meeting. I remember the first like child study team meeting with my mom and everybody. And I was just sitting there and I just had my head down. And I was just crying. I just was a pool of tears on the table because I was like, Yo, I, I, I can't fix this. Like you're telling me that I have to be in these classes. I didn't even know what a special ed class was. I didn't know what it looked like. Like I didn't know who goes in there. All I knew was that when you had that conversation when everybody's quiet and they're like, well, we have to tell you something and we think this would be best. We think this would be best. What, what did I do? I didn't do nothing. I was like, mom, what did I do? She was like, you didn't do anything. I said, then why are they talking to me like I did something? So, you know, I was just like, nope, I knew this was going to be bad. And sure enough, it was. I went through some real bad time some real bad experiences and I wrote it in my book it was like a a chapter I wrote in there talking about like the best time that I had in special ed classes and the worst time I had so I want to just take this time really quick to to just throw in a caveat because I know that we do talk a lot about IEPs and 504 plans because um, there is a lot of people who have children with like ADHD 
or who have actual, you know, who have diagnosis. I know I'm a parent of a child with sickle cell disease and also type one diabetes. And especially with the children with um, those illnesses, sometimes they do need accommodations. And um, not all the time, but I wanna just be clear that if your child needs accommodations, it's totally okay, it's totally fine. But in some cases, there are some children that are being put in spaces that they don't belong. And so that's what we're focusing on today. Absolutely. So one thing that you do, you've taken your story, you've taken your pain, and you've turned it into your passion, you've turned it into your purpose, and you're a motivational speaker. What if there is a young person or the parent that's listening who's saying, hey, you know what? I have a special story. I want to write a book. How do I take my story, take my experiences and become a motivational speaker? What what would a person do to get started? Uh, they would join my Legacy Speakers University group. Yeah. OK, so tell us where where do they go to find out about it? All right. So if they wanted to uh, join the legacy speakers group, uh, the only thing they would have to do is really just send me a text. Um, I say that's the easiest way to contact me or DM. You know, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Send me a DM. So I would say what's, you your, just, what's your handle on um, social media so they can know everything is Brad Butler, the second. So, okay. Brad so Butler everybody II. listen, we are going to put that in the show notes. But you've heard it here, Brad Butler II. Go there and you can send him a DM. Or did you want to, um, what I'll do, I'll put that in the show notes so that they can click over and send you a DM. Um, but definitely um, let us know a little bit more about the program and anything else that you think the audience should be aware of. Sure. Um, you know, I've been speaking for professionally for uh, over five years now. And over that time, you know, I've, I've spent money and time, you know, working with some of the best in the game. So I'm a certified speaker under Dr. Eric Thomas, um, his brand. I've worked with other speakers. I also work with uh, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Anderson right now with his speaking group uh, as one of his uh, speakers and the coaches to help out with the, um, the program that he has there. And that happened because I was able to invest the time and money into just learning the, the business behind it, the structure of a presentation. How do you put together a key, a keynote, a 45 to 60 minute keynote? And, you know, after learning all that stuff, I had a bunch of people that are saying, oh, I want to do what you do. And, and then, then you start getting this question, oh, I just want to pick your brain. No, no, you can't. Because basically what you're telling me is that you want the information that I spent tens of thousands of dollars on for free. And I can't do that. And that's also not going to help you with your, your, your process, because if there's no pain involved in it, like if you, you know, try some things and it doesn't work out for you, if you don't actually put a dollar amount on something, you ain't going to do it. Like you ain't going to go through with it. So I'm not even going to play games with people. It's just simple. Listen, you hit me up, send me a DM, or you could text me at 848-305-6333. 848-305-6333. Text legacy to that number. 
and I'll get back to you and we'll, you know, get you rocking and rolling in the program where we coach you. We have coaching calls, group coaching calls. We also do uh, one-on-one sessions uh, to help you structure your story. So you'll have a, a signature keynote presentation because most people don't even have a signature keynote. They just go out there and speak. It's like, no, nah, there's an art to this. Like just, you know, you can structure this thing and have a blueprint. So you're not all over the place. Um, and then, you know, we have a community where we all work together. If you need anything, I make sure you have it. Awesome. Awesome. And you just mentioned two people who I am very, very familiar with. True story. My husband actually went to school with Jeremy and there was a period of time where Eric Thomas actually taught him. So um, small world, but I think that um, those are phenomenal speakers. Eric Thomas is actually one of the top speakers in the world right now. Absolutely. So you are learning and just mingling with the best of the best. And so I am glad that you have that legacy program. I encourage people to sign up, sign your kids. Well, do you have an age group that you work with? Is no, not really. Not really, because as long as, uh, you know, you have the will to do it. Yeah, you can be speaker right now. Like They would love some schools, organizations. They would love it if they had a kid that was 10 years old and speaking life in the people instead of trying to be. I don't know what I'll just say that because there's plenty of things out there that they're trying to be. But if they were doing that, I promise you the whole community would get behind them. Absolutely. Well, it has been a true joy, a true pleasure and honor to just be able to hear your story because you do have a phenomenal story. And I know that when you travel and you talk to people about the things that you've overcome and what you're doing now, because your story is still being told and you are still breaking barriers and doing amazing things. So I just appreciate your time. I'm glad that you came to talk to us at the Cleverly Changing Podcast. And it's there anything else you wanted to share before you wrap it up um i I guess the last thing i'll say is um it's something i say pretty much at the end of all my presentations so i guess i'll leave this for your your group as well um and that's be careful of your thoughts because your thoughts become your words be careful of your words because your words become your actions be careful of your actions because your actions become your habits and be careful of your habits because your habit habits will become your legacy. And that is how the world will remember you. So uh, if you are interested in contacting me for any uh, presentations that you have going on, anything going on with the schools and you need some motivations for the kids or in the community, you can always go to my website, which is www.bradbutlerthenumber2.com. Bradbutlerthenumber2.com. And I'm looking forward to working with you. Yes. And one last thing, tell us the name of your book and where we can get it. Oh, the book is called Pain, Passion, Purpose, Pain, Passion, Purpose. And you can go to that same website, www.bradbutlerthenumber2.com, bradbutlerthenumber2.com. Thank you. This has been awesome. And everybody, I will put all of that information in the show notes. So go to the show notes page to click on his links and show him support. Thank you all. Did you know that we sell merchandise to keep our podcast going? Order a hoodie, t-shirt, mugs, and more today. Visit cleverlychanging.com and click on the shop tab to place your order.